thank you, TV. Hey, it's Father's Day, and I didn't know your children were staying in here, so uh, why don't we do vintage Pastor Greg, so children come up for a Jim, Bob, and Wally story. Come on up. Come on up. You got to come up here around me, kind of gather around me here so I can get it just right. You can sit next to me. Come on. If there's any big kids that want to come, that's fine too. It doesn't matter. So have a seat. All right? Have a seat real quick. Now, see, this is a whole new crop of kids. And so when I say Jim, Bob, and Wally, you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Now, some of the older ones back there went, yay, they do. But here, so I, I started many, many, many years ago telling my kids these stories. And so there are two friends of mine. You know, way back in the wonderful woods, the animals, there are a whole lot like people. And if you listen real close, you can almost hear our two friends, Jim Bob Rabbit and Wally Raccoon, talking. Hey, Wally! Oh, uh, what now, Jim Bob? What are you going to get your dad for Father's Day? Oh, uh, I hadn't thought much about it. You haven't? I've been thinking all year long. Oh, uh, what did you think you are going to get? him a, a recliner chair, but the store didn't think I had enough money. Well, that's probably right. You probably don't have enough money. Yeah, I, I, so I thought of a lot of other things, and I thought about washing his car. Uh, I remember the last time you washed his car. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought the sand would kind of help on the car, but it didn't work very good. Oh, uh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, and so I thought about other things that he likes to eat. Oh, no, you didn't do that, did you? Yeah, I thought about that. No, I remember your mom had to throw you out of the kitchen because it smelled so bad. <laughs> yeah, but my dad, he liked it anyway. But I've been thinking real hard, and so I finally found a verse of scripture, and I know what I'm going to give my dad. Uh, what is it? Well, come with me, and I'll show you. And with that, Jim, Bob, and Wally walked outside of the house, and they walked all the way down the path to a certain particular place, and then they found this one particular tree, and next to it, there were all these branches. Well, this is it. Uh, what's it? Ah, this is what I'm going to give my dad. Uh... Are you going to make him a fort or something? No. You told me to always listen to scripture. And so I found this really neat scripture that I think the Lord is going to let me give my dad. He'll like it a whole lot. Oh, I'm real confused. Well, the Bible says that in the, the, the Lord says that he delights in his son. And I want my dad to delight in me. I remember that scripture. Yeah, and there's a part before it, too. It says he disciplines us when he loves us. So I'm going to give my dad a whole lot of switches. (laughs) Because I want my dad to delight in me. Uh, I don't think that's what it means, Jim Bob. I think he can delight in you without him spanking you like that. Yeah, but I think I get a lot, so I'm just going to have him smiling all year long. I don't think that's what it means, and I think these kids don't need switches either, but the Bible is correct that he does delight in us, and he wants to love us even when he disciplines us. 
Well, boys and girls, that's the story of Jim, Bob, and Wally. So the next time your mom and dad spank you, it's because they love you a lot. All right? Have a seat. Those are fun stories, right? All the adults could have come down for that. I'm, I'm with you. That actually was the verse. Uh, it wasn't until literally, I do these, these stream of consciousness. It wasn't until they said preschool children are dismissed. I thought, oh, the kids are in here. I better have a story. I don't have a story. Well, I did have this verse, and that's usually the way it comes with it. Because dads, I wanted you to know that the, uh, with your children, before we ever discipline them, we need to really learn how to delight in them. And it's much easier to discipline a child that knows their dad delights in them than it is when they just think, well, he just is mad at me. So that's just my word of encouragement. I'm not going to preach your Father's Day sermon. You heard it there, Jim, Bob, and Wally. But for you to really think about what does it mean to delight in your children, ask the Lord what that means. I think it's going to mean somewhat a lot of listening to your kids. And, you know, for men, we get a little tired of listening because it seems like you know, sometimes they're just talking and we're thinking, we don't have a clue what they're saying, but we just nod. So you're going to do some listening to your kids. You know, that's part of delighting in them, uh, spending time with them. It's not just giving money, although kids seem to think that that's one of the things dads can do. So I just wanted to encourage all the dads that, uh, that to, to really take time to delight in your children. I, I work at Moody Radio also, as well as the church, and so I try to do, update things on Facebook, and I found this great picture of a dad, I mean, he, almost like a wrestler kind of dad. He had his shirt off, and he's sitting down having uh, tea with his daughter at a little pink plastic table. And just, I mean, the picture I put on Facebook, I thought, now this is a dad, right? He's sitting down, he's so big, but he's sitting there, he's delighting in his daughter at that moment, I mean, whether... She remembers that or not, that's one of the things. So I want to encourage you to do that. And then also, the other side of it is, when we're going through discipline from the Lord, remember that He delights in us. That's the, the, we want to stress the beginning of that verse in Proverbs 3, but the Lord said, look, I, want, I really want you to know that I delight in you. So what does that do? Well, He listens a lot to us, too, if we're talking to Him, right? That's one of the things He does. And He does spend time with us, and He does one other thing. Uh, when we started the service, uh, I had an opportunity to come over here and pray with the intercessors, and the word I prayed about was, was that the Lord is good. Every good and perfect gift that the Lord gives, it comes from the Father above. And so I prayed that. I wasn't in here when they did the preset of songs. And then they started singing about the Lord is good. And I was like, wow. And then Jack came up and said the same thing, the, the Lord is good. And then we've heard that rephrase several times here. So before we continue, what I want to do is I want you to just turn to someone right beside you. And we're going to pray for a couple things here about the Lord's goodness. Now, here's what you need to know about one of the reasons we're singing the song. Is that we have a devil who, who accuses and maligns the character of God day by day. In other words, the devil doesn't like who God is. So he doesn't want us to remember who God is. So he's constantly telling us the opposite. God's not good. God doesn't care. God, and he's just constantly maligning his character. In the same way for you, if you name the name of Christ, he's maligning your character. Okay? So in this, when we're talking about the Lord is good, there's one aspect of it that we're talking about his character. He is always good. He never ceases to be good, ever. That is just part of his character. He doesn't sometimes say, well, you know, most of the time I'm good, but when I think about Greg, sometimes I'm just not sure. You know, that he's always good. 
Now, we don't have all the experiences that necessarily feel good about our lives. Some of the circumstances that we experience don't feel that way. But God is always good, right? So what I wanted to do is just have you pray for a moment that you would have a fresh revelation of God's goodness. Because when God shows up, the other thing he, I, he revealed to me recently is when he shows up, he never shows up 50%. You know, it's not like Jesus showed up in the service this morning and thought, well, you know, I've got to be a lot of other places in the world, so I'll just put 25% of me there this morning. Wherever God is, he's 100% there. Wherever Jesus is, he's 100% there. He did, he, he's 100% of all that he is, he's here with us this morning. And so when he's good, he wants us to have a fresh revelation of his goodness, meaning that you'll see that, you'll be aware of it, you'll understand how he's been good in your life. So I want you just, to, before we begin the sermon, to actually just do that. So if you turn to the right or left, I'll kind of direct you, and just somebody, you're just going to pray for them to have a fresh revelation of the goodness of God in our lives. We sang it, and now we just want to pray it in there. So if you take a moment, just begin praying and just asking God for a fresh revelation of his goodness to each other. And so, Lord, we agree with these prayers that are being prayed right now. God, we admit that we can't see it sometimes, and we agree with the enemy sometimes because of our ignorance. But, Lord, the truth is you are good. You are good. Your mercy endureth forever. Lord, we bless you and we thank you, God. And I pray that you would open our eyes in each and every situation, open our eyes to see your goodness in our lives. Father, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, turn to Galatians chapter 6. As I was coming over here, I was praying. It was funny. I was really going back and forth, and I said, what did I preach the last time I was over here? Why can't I remember? I was over there not long ago. Why can't I remember the, what I preached? I mean, I was really struggling. And then finally it dawned on me, Andy Glover was here preaching. I didn't preach. <laughs> I thought, wow. At least I'm not forgetting the sermon. I remember I was here, but I didn't preach on that Sunday. But the question I want us to look at today is, what is God saying or what is God doing today in the earth? If you want to Google that, you can find a lot of people. One of the words you'll hear, judgment about America. I, I, I understand a lot of people say, yes, we're going to be judged. And I believe that there's judgment uh, because of some of the things that we're going to look at here. My sermon's not on judgment, but the, the question is, what is God saying to do? Because sometimes when we lose sight of what he's doing, then we want to try and chase after a lot of other things. Maybe God's doing this, and maybe God's doing that. And if we start a new program here, and maybe, maybe God's order of things has changed a little bit, and he's wanting us to, to kind of grab hold in a different way. And, and I know the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, but I want to show you that there's some consistency of things that we can continue to do that the Lord wants us to, to look at here. And so, um, what is God saying to do? Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 6. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good. There's that word good again, right? For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I want to look at just a couple of phrases in this 
this particular verse, and then we're going to look at another verse. The first one is do not be deceived. The other side of that is some of us are being deceived. If he tells us not to be deceived, it's because some of us are being deceived. Even the elect, it said, that there's going to be a deluding spirit in the last time for us to be deceived. What are we deceived about? We're deceived some of, about the character of God that I was just referring to. But the main thing that, that people are walking in here in the context of this particular verse, it says God is not mocked. It means he's not made fun of or he's never made a fool. God is never made a fool of. Made to be wrong or spoken of in a wrong way. Made to be made out, in like in other words, that somebody said, well, see, I knew God didn't care. God's never be made wrong in that way. You know, you will not catch God in a, see, I knew he didn't know that. Or, see, I told you so, I knew that God didn't care. I mean, God's never going to be made fun of. He's not going to be mocked. He's not going to be made a fool where he was unaware of a situation. So don't be deceived. Why is that? Because, because we live our lives thinking somehow all the principles that God has in place, even though they work for everybody else, I'm going to somehow, especially if I'm living wrongly, I'm going to escape those. I mean, God may hold the rest of the world to account, but somehow he knows I'm really kind of a good person, and so I won't have to give an account for the bad things I've done. I'm going to make a fool out of God. See, he doesn't know what I've done in secret. He doesn't know those things. God is not aware of those. I'm going to escape all of that. I can watch porn. Nobody else knows, right? You can do all those things. I can lie. I can cheat. I can steal. I can do all those things. Nobody knows. God doesn't care. Look, we see the wicked seem to be flourishing. Where's God in that? And so the tendency is to say, well, God's so far removed from us, and he doesn't really care that much about what we're doing. He just kind of got it all started, let it go, and he's back here. Paul's saying God's never made fun of. He is right in the middle of every single decision, every action we make. God's right in the middle of it. You know, there will come a time when your thoughts about God will not trump who he is. You know, your situation is not so unique. Your situation is not so unique that God is not able to figure it out. That's what we think. Sometimes God, you, you know, my situation, you just weren't prepared for what's happening in my life. And so we want to discredit God somehow, put him so far away that he can't actually do what and be a part of what we're doing. You know, your dilemma does not have God stumped as bringing a direction in your life. My dilemma doesn't. You know, you sit there and say, man, there's no way God can figure this out. Look at this. I mean, you know, there's no way. And so we just want to almost remove God from the situation. Your circumstances are not too overwhelming for God to bring about his desired conclusion. Whatever those circumstances are. Whatever those circumstances. You're just saying, you know... How's God going to work it out? I just know that he does. I know there's always a door number four. We only see three, but God has a door number four. He does. It's like we can't see it until he removes it. And then all of a sudden, door was four was there all the time, but we weren't aware that there was a door number four. Well, specifically, he says here that God is not mocked. The one who sows to the flesh will reap 
corruption, destruction. We never get away with a sinful thought, an attitude or action, whether it was witnessed by anyone or not. We'll reap it. So what is God doing in this day? One of the reasons judgment is here is because he's just allowing us to reap what we've sown. It's not like God all of a sudden decided that he doesn't care about America anymore. He does care about us. But God is always, always following his principles of the harvest. In Genesis 8, it says, While the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So he's saying God's not made fun of when people are sowing to their flesh, they're going to reap what they've been sowing. God doesn't sit there and say, well, I'm going to try and change that. He says he just allows his principles to go forth. And one is, is that our nation has been sowing to our flesh. We've been sowing to our own desires. We've been trying to just be very me-centered. And we're going to reap what we've been sowing. God's not really angry about it. He just is letting the fruit of what has been sown come forth. Can it change? Yes, it can. You know? Can God show mercy? Absolutely. When we repent, God does those things. But, for the, but the majority principle that occurs in every one of our lives is God just lets us receive the fruit of that which we've sown. And we don't like the consequences of those. We want to say, well, that's not my fault. Somebody else did this to me. Somebody else. And we start blaming everyone else. And then yet God says, God's not mocked. When a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. And we want, to, we want to think somehow we can sow corn and over here we're going to get wheat. We want to sow an action and believe that somehow that's not what we're going to reap. But God's just letting this thing, he's sowing and reaping come forth. I don't like this sermon any more than you do. I don't like it. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, I look so many times, I can tell you one sowing and reaping when my dad mom and dad divorced when I was three and and then throughout the period of time uh my dad didn't communicate with me a lot didn't communicate with any of the other kids either he didn't communicate and you know I judged my dad at that time and I sowed some seeds of judgment that's what that means right judging dad I sowed some seeds of judgment and, of course, some of those was like, I don't like it. I'm not going to be like that. But, you know, one of the things I struggle with sometimes is that area of communicating. And I sit there and I'm thinking, ah, I know exactly where that fruit's coming from. Asking the Lord to forgive me. Can I change it? I can. I can begin to plant new seeds and ask him to forgive me. But when I see that in my life, I, I mean, it's like I can go directly right here back when I was a child and go, man, I remember making that judgment. Now I'm seeing fruit of it. There's all kinds of judgments that we make, all kinds of seeds that we've sown. Some were more uh, thoughtful and others, you know, are just kind of in the background. But I don't like it because when I see it, I'm thinking, why did I do that? Why did I judge my dad? Why didn't I understand that? Why did I do those things there that bring about what I'm experiencing now? And so for every one of us, we have some of those things about sowing seeds in the past and the and the. And can, is there forgiveness for those things? Absolutely. Are we clean before the Lord? Yes. Are we still reaping what we've sown? To some degree, yes. Can God change it? It is not a hopeless thing here. I'm going to change. All right, don't, don't stay with me. Don't, don't get too depressed about the fact. 
But I'm telling you, when someone says, what is God doing? And you look at a person's life that's struggling, you can guarantee you they're reaping what they've sown. Now, I know bad things happen to us, and we did, we, I understand. Put this in a whole other category. Sometimes bad things happen to us because we have an enemy that hates us, and he just hurls insults. Okay? I understand that. That's a whole other category. You didn't wake up. The bad thing happened to you today didn't necessarily happen because of a seed. Right? Or because you, you didn't read your Bible that morning. Okay? So I know that the enemy hates us, and for no reason bad things can happen to us that are not seeds. But we want to put everything in that category. And responsibility says there's a lot of stuff over here that it wasn't the enemy's fault. It was I was choosing my own way. And I was planting those seeds. And I'm reaping the consequences of relational breakdown. I'm reaping the consequences of financial burdens. I'm reaping those things because I did not follow this principle of sowing and the fact that I'm going to reap. That's why he says, he who sows the flesh, you're going to reap kind of a destruction, corruption life. He who sows the spirit is going to reap eternal life. And so I understand. The enemy hates us. He'll, he comes against us. Those things happen. You don't, if you have an accident that day, it was not necessarily because you didn't read your Bible. Right? On the other hand, we really need to learn what it means to repent because of our own sinful actions. Even as Christians. And the Lord's just allowing that reaping and sowing to continue. He would do that until people cried out. You see it in the life of the children of Israel. They'd follow after God, and then they would start sowing seeds of following after other gods. And after following the seeds of following after other gods, eventually they would end up in incredible bondage. And at that point, they would cry out to the Lord, and he would come and rescue them from the things they reaped. And that didn't happen overnight. It would take a whole generation of following after other gods, a whole generation And then they came to a place where they were just crying out, saying, why did we do this? And they're reaping, they're reaping, harvesting those decisions, seeds of their parents and other places. God would bring bring them out of their bondage. So our point, if you see some of that, is to cry out. That's the pattern. When you see you're eating the fruit of bad seeds, then you cry out and say, God, deliver me from that bondage. And he is all about doing that. All right, the second part of that is that he says, sows to the spirit. This law of sowing and reaping is still in effect. Now, I'm not doing the law of the harvest. You reap more than you sow, later than you sow. That's not really where I'm going. I want us to actually look at wanting us to sow the right seeds. In the context of this particular passage, look back at it again. In verse 6, it says, Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with one who teaches. In other words, he's actually telling us part of what he wants us to do, the seeds that we need to be doing. One is that we need to share all good things. Look at verse 10. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. So this sowing seeds in the con- right right in the you know both sides of this passage of sowing and reaping, he talks about us doing good and fulfilling the law of Christ. That we actually share life and share good things with other people. Let me put it another way. Some of us think we're share, we want to sow seeds because we want our lives to be fruitful. In this context of sowing seeds, it had nothing to do with your life being fruitful. It had to do with you being good and acting in a way toward others. 
do good to them, to everyone that you have opportunity. You're, you're expressing an outward action, not I'm trying to read the Bible so I can have more fruit for me, so I can be a better person, so I can love God more, so I can worship God more. That's not in the context of this. He's talking about sowing is in the lives of those people around you so that you reap. The context is all this outward part that we would take opportunity to do good, to find opportunities, to be proactive in our doing good with other people. We look for those opportunities. We expect every day something like that's going to happen, that we're going to have an opportunity to do good to someone else. For those that are married, you have an opportunity with your spouse every day. Sowing seeds. I can't tell you, guys, how many of us know that when we take time to invest in our wives, it's a good return for us? On the opposite, when all we're saying is we begin to think, man, why aren't they ever, you know, kind to me or whatever, and we begin to think about what I'm not getting, you still don't get kindness. You still don't get a good word when you begin to just think about how bad things are for you. But when you begin to invest in your wife, it just, it just naturally, as you begin to sow seeds of life into your wife or your husband, then you get, begin to get the return of that. That's, that's the principle. What's God doing? He's still about sowing and reaping. And so in this context of sowing, it's doing good to other people. Sowing those seeds of the Spirit that he talks about will focus on responding to their needs. If there's a need of salvation for someone, an opportunity to, good, to do good for them, you would share the good news with people. So if you're talking yesterday at the car wash, you find people that don't know Jesus, you begin to share the good news. You're sowing seeds... Good seeds in other people's lives. Whether they become saved that day or not, not really the issue. The issue is that there's a lost person, you're sowing seeds in their lives. And as you do that, God's allowing that harvest to start. It's not like he's going to start. This is his law. When we have opportunity to do good to others, it happens that way. There's a physical need, we try to meet it. You know, Jesus said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was in prison and you came and visited me. I was naked and you clothed me. See all that outward part of sowing? You see, none of that was, I know you felt bad today, so I really needed to help you out. We're not the focus on the sowing. The sowing is in the lives of other people. And I'm, I'm telling you in our church so much, we're just so concerned about, I can't make it through the day and I don't have enough. And we'll see in a moment some more stuff of that. God's saying, I'm still about, I'm still about you sowing out into the nations. People need to know who I am. So we have the opportunity to sow with our words. We have the opportunity to sow with our prayer for other people. And when our focus is out there, we are literally casting spiritual seed wherever we go. Turn to Romans 14. Romans 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ and is acceptable to God and approved by men, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So he mentions three things that I believe that we could really intentionally sow toward. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Those are what make up the kingdom of God. You could almost smell the kingdom of God when you talk about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. 
that should be the whole flavor of, of fullness. That when people come in here, they begin to say, man, this sounds a lot and smells a lot like righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. This morning as we were worshiping and we were singing and all of a sudden I just felt that, that joy rise up. I mean, for many in here, it was just like, oh, Jesus, we love you. And you can feel joy rise up. It should be that flavor, that smell around us. And you say, okay, what, it, what are these three things? I just recently prayed for someone that was really struggling with some addictions. And as I was praying with them, I said, now, you need to go and start living rightly. And, and here's what you need to do. You need to find joy in righteous living. You need to find the joy in righteous living. What was I talking about there? It meant that when somebody's struggling with a particular issue and they decide not to do that, they made a right decision, and there is joy that comes when we deny doing the sin. There's a joy that comes from that, joy in the righteous activity, overcoming sin. You know, this type of seed typically for, for righteousness is reactive. Meaning this, that righteousness for all of us is a legal kind of thing where Paul says that we were not right with God and now we are legally right with God. But as far as other people seeing my righteousness, it's going to be reactive. In other words, they, they do something against me and I don't respond the way that they would expect me to respond. It's a righteous act. What, is, what does God require of you but to act justly? In other words, act righteously would be another way to say that. And so when he says the kingdom of God is righteousness, it means, wow, we, the people of God, begin to act justly in every way we deal with others or react. You know, as a church body, this whole issue of marriage, uh, let me just back it up a little bit. The whole issue of homosexuality and, and the marriage between homosexuals. You know where we lost that battle? We lost it because in the same context of the verse, I'm talking about the church, in the same context, it mentions homosexuality, it mentions adultery, and it mentions fornication, having sex before you get married. Over here, the church is really silent. People in the church live with people before they're married, just like people outside of the church live with people before they're married. And the church does nothing over here in this regard. There's no calling anybody to account. Adultery. It's not a good thing. Church is still kind of that way. But I'm saying again, you can go in churches. You can go in churches and it's just like, okay, well, they're just, they just, it's not working out. So they're just kind of living together. Now over here, everybody's saying, why isn't the church making a standard over here? Do you understand we lost it when we, way back here. The church lost its voice of righteousness when it stopped acting justly to not just this sin, but to all the other sins that we just kind of brush under the carpet and say, you know, those are acceptable in the church. You know, regarding sin, here's a story. One guy came and he confessed and he said, man, I've been stealing from my business and the guy's like well how much you been stealing i don't even really know but i really want to make it right and he says well can i help you out with it a little bit he said yeah he said well how much do you steal and he said i don't know he said well you think you sold stole ten thousand dollars over the last year the guy's like yeah probably that much he said tell you what this next year just only steal five thousand 
See how much improvement you're making? And if your boss says anything about it, tell him you're being converted and you're well on your way to actually doing this right. So if he finds out about it, just tell him, so I'm not stealing as much as I used to. See, in regard to sin that I mentioned here, that's really the attitude of the church, is that we are so, so low on the totem pole of understanding God's holiness that when we say, well, if somebody's just working, I understand sanctification, I got it. But I'm telling you, we're soft on sin. And so we'll get people passing, well, you know, he is a good person. So 5,000 a year, he's actually making an improvement. Now, you could hear the boss. He would say, who told you that? The church told me it was okay. Because I'm making improvements. And you could see the world sitting there saying, man... Why would I want to be a part of something that doesn't really understand God's holiness? And so righteousness, if the kingdom of God is that way, it means that we respond to it and we're responding that way, all right? And righteously, actions. Every day you and I get opportunities to respond rightly. And so we want the kingdom of God to have that, so we want to sow seeds. And here's here's the deal. When you respond rightly, you're sowing a seed that you're going to have a life of that, that ultimately gets to a place where there's just, you don't have to have a lot of the decisions to make all the time that are tough. I don't know if that makes sense or not. In other words, maybe some math problems were tough, but once I've mastered some of those, then when I see it, it's just not a big issue. When you've acted rightly over certain areas of your life over a period of time, you receive fruit in that that just means you're not going to stumble as easily over those things you used to stumble. That's just the way God works. He'll work that way in your life. Try him and see. Begin to act rightly and see what happens. And you'll find that some of those things that seem to have such a stronghold over you, they don't have the stronghold any longer because of choosing to act rightly. There's a joy in righteousness. Peace. Jesus said, my peace is a gift I I give unto you. Peace is a gift. You can't earn it. Man, every one of us try and think, what is the magic key to being able to have peace? Well, the magic key is you can't earn it. You can't struggle for it. You can't say, ah, I got it. It's a gift. All you can do is receive it, which means it's hard for us because we want to be a part of our salvation. To receive it means I just have to receive his gift by faith. Lord, I'm struggling. My mind is not at peace. I receive your peace over my life. Galatians 6, um, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, you know, don't be anxious for anything. But with prayers and supplication, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It is a gift that he gives. As we follow that part of giving thanks and praying and those things, he gives that gift of peace. It's not like the world. It's a gift. In this regard, in this regard peace, in, uh, as far as from other people, is proactive. If righteousness is reactive, peace is proactive. We can pursue peace. We can have things where we actually say, I want to have a peaceful relationship, so I'm now going to humble myself and go and say, Pam, I'm sorry I didn't treat you the right way. I was harsh with you. Will you please forgive me? That's proactive. I'm looking at this and I say, I want peace, and so I'm looking for areas where there is not peace in my life, and I'm saying, God, show me what to do to be able to experience this fruit of peace. It's proactive. It's not wrong for any of us at times to just ask the Lord to search me and try me and see if there be any wicked ways, specifically in the area of relationships. That we would say, God, is there any area in my life that there's not peace 
that I'm not pursuing peace with another person, that you want me then to do something in that regard. And I know there are some people that we've tried and it's not worked out, but you can still just continue to ask. Because the kingdom of God is about peace. And so, again, some of the smell that you should hear inside churches is that they're at peace with one another. But what is it we typically hear in churches? Backbiting, gossiping, factions, divisions. Paul talked about them in, in Corinthians. I'm Paul, I'm from Apollos, I'm from Peter. Divisions. The kingdom of God is about peace, and part of that peace is not only peace with God, but peace in the area of relationships. And I can tell you, you walk into a small group, you guys have it here, had it at fullness, you can tell there is harmony in a group. People want to be a part of that. Peace is attractive to lost people that don't know God. It's very attractive. How can you have peace in the middle of a storm? How can you do that? It's a gift. And when we re-represent that among other people, where people have offended them, didn't that offend you? Oh, yeah, but peace is a bigger deal than offense. I'm going to be at peace with my brother in Christ. I'm just going to do it. My sister in Christ, I'm just going to make that decision to be at peace. I'm going to be a part of it. It's proactive. And the last one is joy. Joy should joy for the Christians should be the honey in their lives which others desire to taste. I mean, it should be the thing that the first thing that someone thinks about when they think about us and Christianity is that we're full of joy. The Bible talks about that we are full of inexpressible joy. And so it would include a smile, by the way. I don't know of any joyful person that didn't include a smile somewhere in there. I'm joyful. Maybe, maybe Eeyore would be the only person that could be joyful and not have a smile. It's a good day. Right? <laughs> that would, he's the only one we can give that to. But for the rest of us, a smile should be included. I mean, joy should be one of the things. The kingdom of God is about joy. And joy is one of those things that we should be able to just have expressed in our life. And so where do we get joy? Well, it's the fruit, again, of the Holy Spirit. Now, joy, joy also is, it, it's not diminished by our circumstances. Joy's not, right? Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Why would he say consider it joy if we couldn't have joy in the circumstances? But he did. So it shouldn't be diminished by our circumstances. Now, I'm telling you, that's the hardest part. And so let me tell you where, where specifically for that one comes from. You're walking through this valley of circumstances that are overwhelming, and here's what needs to happen. Lord, I don't feel like it, but I'm asking joy would be in my heart. You've got to say it. I've never known anyone to experience joy that didn't intentionally ask that joy would be a part of them. Fill me with joy in your life while they're walking through some very tough circumstances. Because the circumstances do not equate to the joy that comes from the Lord. Listen to Christ. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. None of us would think that Christ would have joy while he was on the cross. But the Bible says right there, while he was dying on the cross for our sins and God was putting all of my sin on him and your sin on him, there was a joy that Christ had that superseded that. 
And so when you're walking through that valley, I'm telling you, because most of the time when we're walking through the valley, there's nothing about how did I get here? I can't believe it. I'm so stupid. I'm so dumb. Uh, life is bad. I mean, we're talking all about, and there's no words that give God an opportunity to plant the seeds of joy in our life. So your words have to, have to start saying what God's saying about you rather than what the circumstances are saying about you if you want to begin to plant seeds. Now, in our house uh, recently, about a year ago, my wife and I moved uh, into another home. It's basically a jungle. And I'm serious. The tornado came through before the big tornado. The tornado came through and knocked down all the big oak trees. We still have some big ones, but it knocked down a lot of them. And when you have light, weeds come forth. And weeds came forth in abundance because nobody had messed with this land for quite a while. And so when we came there, my thought was we had to subdue this land. And it's like, okay, we're going to start pushing the yard back into, you know, we're going to push this thing back. It's really, uh, I mean, it's really starting to be very beautiful, except over there where the jungle still is, all right? So, uh, but we're pushing it back and we're doing those things. Uh, but uh, we decided to have a guard. The other thing is, is this hillside, there's, you, you know the little river rock pebbles? My whole yard is six foot deep of little rock pebbles. I've never seen it. They, 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 David, no, Jonathan yesterday goes, why are all these pebbles? Why don't you throw all these pebbles around there? We were digging in the yard trying to do some work. I said, man, they're six foot. I can't go deeper and not find pebbles. So whatever it was at this particular hillside, it was all there. So we've worked hard. And we've made a garden, and I mean, I, I did it. Pam says, is anything going to grow in those rocks? I said, all the weeds had no problem. <laughs> I don't anticipate our, our, our fruit and vegetables are going to have any problem. And sure enough, they're, it's incredibly fertile there, so I don't understand what it is. But, uh, but I mean, I plowed that up with an old plow. When I say an old plow, you say, what does it mean, an old plow? I mean, it had two handles. It had a metal wheel. And had, a, you know, the plow underneath it. And I pushed that thing by myself doing that. I was tired. <laughs> but I understand that in there, we were speaking life over this land. And we believe it's going to be fruitful even with the rocks. Speaking life over it. There's another aspect about fruit and uh, when you talk about joy. We know that joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And again... If God is going to give me fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, who is the fruit for? It's not really for me. The fruit of the Spirit is for other people to taste. So when I'm praying for patience, I'm not just trying to determine if I can be patient. God's going to put me in relationship with somebody else, and they're going to see if I have the fruit of patience in my life. They're going to taste the Holy Spirit's fruit of patience. Now, I understand there are times when I need to be patient, but, but the ultimate end of the fruit is for other people to taste it in our lives. How do people know that we're loving? The fruit of love is there. And sometimes we just say, God, I just want to be more loving, and we're all concentrated on me. But the idea is, is that we're asking for that fruit to be borne out because somebody's going to be upset with us, and we're going to respond to them with love. And they're going to taste the fruit of the Holy Spirit of love. That is not my natural tendency. That's not who the old man is like. That's not how I would respond in someone's life. 
But when we're asking for God to sow seeds in our life and we want to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, then you can go through and be proactive. And so as you're praying for those, understand that God's going to give you opportunities for others to experience that from you. Even self-control. We say that because we're like, Lord, I'm struggling with this. But other people are going to experience the fruit of your self-control. If you have an issue with anger and you're trying to be more controlled, it's not that you just need to control your anger, but when you do control your anger and there's fruit in that life, other people aren't affected because you've lost your temper. They've received the fruit of you being self-controlled. They may not even understand ever how much anger you could have, you could have unleashed on them because the fruit of the Holy Spirit of self-control is operating through you. They're going to taste that. They're going to, wow. He really should have been angry with me at that point, and he didn't. How did, how did you control that? That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And as you're pouring forth and as you're putting that in your life, God's going to allow that fruit there. So what's God doing? What's he up to? He's still up to sowing and reaping. When you, when you wake up tomorrow and you're starting through your day and you're trying to figure out what God's doing, he's still saying, I'm going to let you reap some of what you've sown, and you get an opportunity to sow a whole new harvest. You get to be proactive in sowing a new harvest. And some of it you've already done, I know that. But you get to be proactive in sowing that seed. And it's related in doing good to all people. Now, this thing about doing good to all people, you can be intentional, you can lay it before the Lord, but it's not like you have to wake up and say, man, I've got to do good to all people. You just say, Lord, today I'm following you. And he'll give you opportunities to love people throughout the day. He'll do it. I mean, can you imagine God... It says, if we've been, them being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more shall our Heavenly Father give those good things to those who ask Him? So when you ask, God says, He's not going to, if you ask for bread, He's not going to give you a rock or a serpent or something like that. He's going to give you what you ask for. So when today I say, God, make me available to other people, when I ask that, the Lord says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you opportunity to do that. He just, I mean, He's anxious actually for the people of Christ, to re-represent him on the earth. There's no other plan that God has for people to see Jesus other than people seeing him in you and I and the way we respond. It, it's just really that simple. I'm going to wrap up with a, with a couple, one story, and then an illustration, then we're going to pray uh, into a certain thing. Uh, yesterday, my wife... Um, I work at the radio, so I get up 4.30-ish throughout the week. That is not my net, no, even after a year, I'm still not really liking that a bunch, okay? <laughs> now, some guys, they get up, they're used to it, that's fine. That's just not me. And it really isn't so much the getting up early, it's the going to bed early part that's hard. If I go to bed early, it's not hard to get up. But if I don't go to bed, it's really tough there. So on Saturdays, it might be a day that I could sleep in a little bit later, Right? You don't have to sleep in much later than past 4.30. You feel like you really slept in, right? So, so anyway, woke up yesterday and Pam said, oh, we were supposed to go pray at 7 o'clock around, this, uh, tr- around the school building. And I'm thinking, when did I sign up for that? I don't remember signing up. I, I just remember you assuming that I was going with you. How could I not? How can you say, I'm not going to go pray? Right? And there's no, no good way out of this one, right? There's just not a good way. To, there's nothing spiritual on my side that I could sit there and say, I really need to stay here. 
And so I, I tried. I thought through it, but I didn't come up with any, right? So, and the thing is, I wasn't even fully awake. I mean, you know, there's times when you wake up and you get out of bed and you're ready. I mean, I still felt like half of my face was in a fog. I just was kind of like, I'm just not really awake. And even on the way there, she says, you're just sitting over there like this. And she was right. I was sitting there going, I said, I'm thinking, baby. I'm thinking. And, uh, and so I was. I was really just doing it. But I was quiet. And I was like, man. I don't so we get there, and there's only one other lady that's walking with us. And she was the one that invited us. She's walking around. We get there, and she says, this is my third time around. She said, I was speaking to my knee. It's hurting. This is my third time. We're going to walk seven times around this school. And uh, we're going to pray. She said, I anointed the thing. And so she gave testimony about how she's praying over her school and how one time, uh, you know, it seemed like God, she said, they're asking God, why aren't you working in the schools? He said, because they don't let me in anymore, you know. Sowing and reaping, hearing that. When we kick prayer out of the school, not that any one prayer is going to make a difference, but do you realize that action said more than it was a seed? It wasn't so much that any one prayer or that, you know, it was a seed that we sowed. And we said, we really don't want God to be a part of our schools. And we're reaping what that looks like. All over our country, we're reaping it. The answer is not to go and just put prayer back in the school. That's not the answer. I mean, that's just a legend. It means that somehow we need to repent and ask God what the, what the answer is. Some people say, well, let just, you know, if that's happened, let's just sow prayer back in the school. But... The truth is, is that you can send your kids into schools to be powerful light and darkness in, in tremendous ways, but prayer does have to be covered around the school. So she shared that testimony of some things and had anointed the doors, and we walked around and prayed, and uh, it was a good time. I'm still, every, every walk, I'm still saying, this side hadn't woken up yet, you know? I mean, I'm just really not, I'm not, I'm not feeling near as spiritual as what we're doing, is what I'm saying. We get to the end of it. And uh, she said, yeah, I've been speaking my knee and stuff. She said, would you just agree with me? I said, sure, you know, I, I don't mind praying for people and agreeing that somebody wants healing. So we, we agreed together. And after we prayed, she said, you know, the deal is, is that this leg, she said, I'm not sure. Somebody said one leg's shorter than the other leg, and, and I just got pain back here, and, and I, I just don't want to receive it, but I got it. And, and, there. and as soon as she said that, now I'm, I'm, I'm sort of halfway awake. I hear God say, hey, pray for her leg to grow. Now, I know it's too early in the morning for me to be thinking a spiritual thought there. So I, I knew that was God really speaking to me. And I'm like, right here in the open on the sidewalk with cars passing by, you're wanting me to do that, right? And, and he's like, yeah. So I said, I don't, I'm pretty sure she's open to it. But, you know, you don't know. You just kind of, my point is this. And following God is just this easy. When he mentions something, you follow what he says. It's not up to us. It's him doing it. Do you see what I'm saying? So he wanted this lady's back healed. So I set her down on the curb and said, hey, we took the shoes off. And uh, we prayed for her right there on the curb. Pam and I did. And God realigned her back. Some leg growing to me is just a realignment of the back. Some of it, I don't know how God, I don't have to know how God does it. I'm just asking God to make both legs the same length, right? And so we just prayed that way, and God did it right there. And I was like, that was a half inch. It was a half inch different. As we were praying, they were even. And in my mind, I keep looking at them saying, that's a miracle happening right now in front of me. That's a miracle happening right now in front of me. I can't make it happen. I'm like, did I, did I pull one leg? You know, is it me? I'm like, 
I didn't do that. I mean, that God just, and she was in agreement with it. She gets up, she goes, all the pain in my back is gone. All the pain in my back is gone. And she's like, I'm calling my husband. <laughs> He's not going to believe what happened today here at the school. And I'm thinking, I don't this. I mean, I believe, but I'm like, so I just walked away. So I, part of me, this is where I'm at. I don't even really want to share the story because it's really not about me. It's about what God did. But here's the words that he did, and he told me in this thing, and this is how we're closing up. It's that easy to follow and sow a seed. Just follow what he says next. These are some of the seeds I think we need to be intentional about in this day and age. Righteous living. Church is in bad need of that. Peace. That people would, would see us as peaceful with our relationships with others. And then full of joy. I think if you're asking God to sow those seeds in your life, you're going to begin to see that that's about the kingdom, right? If we pray anything according to His will, we know that He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, we know that we have the request that we prayed for. So when you're asking for you to be filled with righteous peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, God's like, I'm all about that. Because that's what my kingdom looks like. And that's what I want your life to look like. The second thing he said, according to that story I shared with you, is that God's doing a realignment. He's doing a realignment. It's not just a matter of, of someone's back, but in every one of our lives. If I'm asking what God's up to, he's just always realigning me to be able to hear what he's saying better. He's into realignment in some of your lives. So I wanted to pray over us in this way. Uh, we may open it up to some ministry time, but I just wanted to pray uh, in this regard about the realignment in your lives uh, regarding these things of seeds. All right, so bow your heads with me if you could. Lord, the first part in that realignment and for every one of us is that we need to be really good um, students of repentance. That, Lord, that in our lives we need to know how to repent. That uh, we don't like it necessarily, but that we know exactly the full process of complete repentance not where we just feel sorry about our actions but we follow all the way through receive your forgiveness of your blood cleanses us from all all unrighteousness and make amends lord that we need to be good at repenting with our wives and our husbands lord we need to be good at repenting they want it, that we blow it and so we we turn to them and ask for forgiveness and, and commit to not live that way any longer God, we need to be good at repentance. Where we accept responsibility for our actions. And as ugly as those actions are, that we receive your pure forgiveness for them. All in this room, God, I pray when a husband or a wife or a child has done something wrong, God, we get serious about sin. And the ugliness of it. Come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. And so, Lord, let us be very quick responding to sin. And, Lord, the realignment is, is including repentance. But it's also saying, that I'm not going to do that, but I am going to do this. And I pray, God, that as you free us up from the bondages of sin... 
that we align ourselves with the pureness of the Spirit of God for love and joy and peace to fall, uh, to fall and flow through our lives. God, please, we're asking. We are so needy. We cannot do this on our own efforts. We are desperate for the love and the power of God to flow through us. Connect us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, you said don't go anywhere until you receive power from him on high. And then you shall be my witnesses. We will respond to people outwardly and do good to people because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we are asking that we are passionate, God, that we won't let the uh, sensation of the world and the distractions of the world steal our love relationship from you. Lord, would you allow us, as a deer pants after the water, Father, would you allow us to come after you? God, we bless you so much. We thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our midst. And Lord, I pray, God, please have mercy on the area of sowing and reaping. Where we've sown to the flesh, God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us as a nation. Have mercy on us as individuals. Have mercy on us as a church, God. Have mercy, God. Have mercy, God. Have mercy on us, God, because of our sinfulness of this nation. God, have mercy on us. Lord, it's never an individual, God. It's never an individual, although they could typify what's happening, God. But, Lord, as a nation, we have, we've been silent when you tell us to speak up. We've spoken up and nothing's happened, so we've given up. And God, your word says, do not grow weary in well-doing, for you shall reap in due season. And so, God, we're asking that you help us maintain the fight, God. But please, please, God, in regard to sin, help us, God. Please have mercy. Have mercy for those seeds of our own idleness, the seeds of our own, um, God, independence that we sowed. God, forgive us. Forgive us, oh God that we can walk a holy life before you. God, we are not without hope. Hope does not disappoint us. And I pray over every single person in here right now that hope begins to rise up in their heart, that we serve a God who's fully engaged in everything we're doing. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would do that. Lord, I bless you and I thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Not exactly sure how you normally, if there's, oh, there's music. I thought I heard music behind me. And uh, but I wanted to give an opportunity for prayer for physical healing. Don't know if that's what God's doing today, but uh, that's what he did yesterday. And I thought when I came over here, you know what? I bet you there's some other people that need physical healing. So she plays, want to have you stand and worship with her. Those that would like to come forward for some physical healing, we want to pray for that today. If you um, need to be dismissed, then you can do that too, but we want to pray for just some time to do that.